0: Good morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. I'm glad you guys are here today. My name is Chris Causey. I'm the pastor here, and uh, today we're going to continue this series. uh, We started last month on how to beat the odds, and um, hopefully if you're new here, I would encourage you to to go back and check out some of the ones that we've already worked through. This has been a really um, useful series. We've just looked at a lot of practical tools and resources and information to kind of help us to live lives with better decisions and fewer regrets, is kind of the, the tagline in some ways of what we're trying to accomplish in this series. And uh, today, I wanna, we're going to kind of start in the next three weeks, we're going to be wrapping it up, and so we're going to be transitioning um, some of the the ideas in the series to more some of the internal stuff. But today, I want to kind of press into one that I think is really powerful, one that's uh, subtle that we can miss. Um, it's partially been, rem- I've been reminded of it because I have a five-year-old little girl, and... We're in a season of life where the question, um, she's starting to get certain questions pretty regularly, and um, this, these questions of, um, who do you want to beat when you grow up? What do you want to become? And, and so, naturally, that sparked conversation in our house. Specifically, it sparked a lot of critiques at my parenting. Um, she informed me because I'm pretty much allergic to every living organism, including humans. Um, because of all of my allergies, we're pretty much not allowed to have pets. We had a pet fish. Rest in peace, Princess Elizabeth Causey. She passed away a couple weeks ago. She survived a month, which is pretty much another reason that we should not have extra living organisms in our house. But she informed us one time that uh, just a couple weeks ago, she was like, "Um, I've decided when I grow up, I'm going to get married, I'm going to become a teacher, I'm going to hire people to take care of my children, and whenever my twins ask me for a pet, I'm going to give them one. It's like, oh, okay, yes, if my kids ask for pets, I'm just going to buy them for you. I was like, oh, okay, good, because you won't let me have any. (laughs) It's Like, oh, thank you, five-year-old critiquing our parenting style, right? I mean, I'm already getting like, she's already dreaming how she could better parent than Jenny and I can, which I'm not sure how that bodes well for us, because she's five, okay? And, And I didn't have it in the heart to tell her then, but like, okay, well, do you realize if... If you choose to buy multiple pets and become the cat lady and the dog lady, um, when you're older, then daddy might die if he comes and visits you. So if you're okay with that, then pursue your dreams, right? But the reality is, is like that question um, that she's been asked recently that sparked all these conversations is a question you and I were probably asked growing up too, right? Who do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to become? And I think somewhere along the line, people stopped asking us that question, which was actually kind of sad. I haven't been asked that question recently, and you probably haven't either. But I would argue that it's actually more us that needs the question than even them. Because when you get to adulthood, you you don't arrive. You just keep adulting. You find out that adults don't like to get up early like you thought they did. When you were younger, you realized that coffee is not something they drink because they just enjoy the taste. It's something they drink to be able to jump into life's pace, right? I mean, there's all these things about adulthood that I thought once I arrived, I would like being responsible. And it just doesn't play out that way. And that question of who do you want to become should be questions I think that you and I, we ask ourselves regularly. And that we ask the people in our lives regularly, because we're not there yet. Who do you want to be when you grow up? After you've grown up, who do you want to be? Because all of us in this room have some amount of time left in front of us, and we're still in process. And today, I want to look at the force that whether you're aware of it or not, it doesn't matter, but I want to look at a, a specific force that's shaping who all of us are becoming a force that's at work in each one of our lives that is shaping who we are becoming in this season and in the next season of life. And it's that force that I want to zoom into and and, and evaluate and process through together. Because if you and I can become aware of that force being there, then you and I can start to make choices to leverage it to live a life with better decisions and fewer regrets. To get to that, I want to take you to a passage, a story that's probably almost 2,000 years old. Actually, it's about 2,800 years old, to be um, fairly exact. And in this moment, there is a a conversation, a series of conversations that play out that if we're willing to kind of hit pause and zoom in a little bit, what we'll find is that underneath this is this force at work that's in their life, too. It's found in the book of 1 Kings, which if you're new to church or new to the Christian thing or just haven't spent a lot of time in the Bible as a whole, 1 Kings is a history book in the Old Testament or the first portion of what we call the Bible. The Christian Bible is comprised of two majority parts, one Old Testament, which is primarily centered around the history of the Jewish people, the promises, specifically the promised land and the promised one of the Jewish people. The New Testament is... The kind of the Christian fulfillment of the promised one, that at the heart of the Jewish faith was two promises: God saying, "I'm going to give you a promised land," I'm going to give you a promised one, and Christians believe Jesus is that promise fulfilled, and so that's where the New Testament comes into play. But in the Old Testament, the book First Kings, Second Kings, First Samuel, Second Samuel, there's a group of these books kind of tucked in the middle of uh, the Old Testament that's primarily centered around the history of Israel's kings. The nation nation of Israel, uh, for most of its ancient history, was ruled by kings. And uh, one of these kings we talked about last week, a guy named Solomon, who was the wisest king to have ever lived. And his father, David, who was one of the greatest kings to have ever lived in Israel's history. And we spent time last week looking at Solomon's advice to his children. And that most of Solomon's advice to his children was what was what we now call the book of Proverbs. It was written as, as this parenting manual. It was written as a how-to to become what it is that you and I, ultimately, God kind of sets forth for us. And, and so Solomon's words to his kids and all of these profound statements uh, are, is where I want to pick up, because what's really neat is I want to fast forward just a little bit and take you to a story where uh, Solomon's son is now being put in charge. So in some ways, it's kind of a continuation of last week. In 1 Kings chapter 12, what we have is the son Rehoboam. And Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. And Rehoboam is about to kind of face a very pivotal moment. His father has passed away, and it is now his turn to become king. And what's important to realize about this time period in history, you don't have to know a lot, but this is the one core fact that you need to know, is that Israel as a people were not one people, they were 12 different tribes. And those 12 different tribes were unified under David and under Solomon, but the entire time there was always this undercurrent of racial and ethnic tension. There was always this pressure underneath the surface of people feeling like their group was being neglected or their group was was way too much in power and in control. And all of this stayed underneath the surface for David and Solomon. Every once in a while, you would have someone step up and try to lead and overthrow or rebel and lead a mutiny. I mean, these moments would happen, but typically Solomon, because of who he was, he would stamp it out, and those people would typically be exiled. And so Solomon's now passed away, and here we are in this moment, and Rehoboam, as a young man, has been tapped on the shoulder and said, today's the day you become king. That's what's about to happen. In verse 1, it says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, why? For all of Israel had gone there to make him king. So this is a nationwide gathering. This is a significant deal, right? I mean, it's, it's like taking Gillette Stadium and Fenway and the garden, combining all of them, and then throwing in all the college stadiums too. Imagine all of those people showing them in one place. The entire nation is there. And they're there because it's the day for Rehoboam to become king. And it says, when Jeroboam, son of Nabat, Nabat heard this, and it says he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. Right? So this guy, Jeroboam, is one of those rebel leaders. He had tried to overthrow the government at one point. Solomon stops it and he flees to Egypt. So, you can already see, even in the midst of this story beginning to unfold, that the racial tensions, the rebellion, it's still there. And it's starting to bubble up. And here's one of these leaders wanting to show up to the crowd that's gathering. And it says So they sent for Jeroboam. And he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said, So Jeroboam's already present. The nation isn't really sure about leadership, it's not sure about its future. And Jeroboam is speaking to these people who feel disenfranchised. There's already this tension. And so they approach Rehoboam in his first day on work. They say this to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days and then come back to me. And so the people went away. So, I mean, this is his first decision. All the nation shows up and basically says, your father was a bad leader. And implicit in all of this is the sense that if you don't do what we say, we're going to walk away from you. We already have our leader picked out. That's why he's speaking on our behalf. So while none of us can really relate to having the mantle of being a king thrown on us, and all of a sudden, all of us know what it's like to be put in a difficult spot where you're not sure what to do where you have to make a choice that you know has impact, that has some implications. And this is what he feels. So he, he does a very wise thing. He's like, oh my goodness. Like this isn't like picking out the colors for the castle that I'm going to move into. I need three days because you people just set me up. My father was the wisest man who ever lived, but I wasn't, and I'm not. So he throws everybody three days, says, go away, and so the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted, consulted the elders who asked and served his father during his lifetime. He said, "How would you advise me to answer these people?" And he asked that, and they replied, "If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants." So that's their piece of advice. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young man who had grown up with him and were serving with him. And he asked them, "What is your advice?" How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So he goes to one group, and they're like, you should probably lighten their load. And then he goes to another group, this group he's grown up around, and he says, what should I do? And they're like, man, don't let them tell you what to do. You're the king. You walk back up in there with that swagger that kings have, and you say, look here, people. You think my father was tough? Nuh-uh. My finger is thicker than my father's waist. He's like, you need to let these people know who's in charge. I mean, that's what these guys are saying. They're like, swagger, you're the king. You go in and you lead them. Like, I'm going to make you sweat. My father just warmed you up. I'm going to give you the workout. Right? And so those are the two options. Serve them or walk in with swagger and say, you haven't seen anything yet. And so we continue. Three days later, all of the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king has said, come back to me in three days. And the king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given to him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young man and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And then we jump down to verse 19 and 20. And it just gives us the rest of what happens. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over Israel. And only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. So what happens is that when he goes back and he tells them this answer, he chooses the swagger, he chooses the bravado, and a nation collapses that day. People leave him and what? Ends up happening, all that tension underneath the surface, all that tribal disunity breaks out, and 11 of the tribes go one way, and one stays with him. His tribe. Everyone else walks out, and they form a new nation. And on that day, all the people gather as one nation, and they all leave as two. In the course of one day, a civil war. Is not only born, it's decided, and a nation is born too. And here's the, 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 I mean, all of us reading this story now, it's really easy to be like, let's just, that guy was a moron. Like, who thought that was a good idea? Like, the people were offering you an opportunity to be a better leader, and you slapped their hand, and you said, you have no idea, and you... Destroyed the nation that your father and your grandfather built. Like, what is your problem? And it's why I said I wanted to hold a magnifying glass to this story because this story has more to it than us sitting as armchair quarterbacks realizing this was the worst play ever. You see, there's a force underneath this that's really important. It's this force that has impact for you and I, too. You see, What happens is that the nation hangs in the balance. He calls forth two different groups. And in those two different groups, he decides something that impacts the nation. And his his decision is he chooses which voice he's going to listen to. You see, underneath those two choices was a chorus of voices. And here's the the powerful force that impacts his life. The powerful force is who he chooses to listen to. He chooses to listen to one and he ignores the other. And it's in his choice of which voice to listen to that ultimately ripples and destroys a nation. Uh, yesterday, my family and I went on a hike, and if you spend time with me, you know that hiking and me aren't two things that get put together very often. I am allergic to everything, and when I say living organisms, I mean all living organisms, including trees, plants, animals, bees, humans and everything in between. And so I knew that like, okay, it's going to be a really lovely day. So kind of the rain had subsided. And so we went on a hike in mean, this lovely little reservation area we're walking through. And um, we're starting to kind of wander and meander our way through the paths. And there up to the side is kind of this mini mountain. And uh, my daughter and I are like, oh, we should climb that. And it's this jagged rocks and all leading up to this kind of like point that overlooks this like massive ravine underneath it. And so we'd already drawn a map, and in our map before we got there was a series of mountains, and beside the mountains is the the place where the unicorns lived on our little map. I'm not joking. And so when we saw the mountain, we recognized this is the unicorn mountain. This is where they gallop happily. And so Ella and I are like, we're going to climb the mini mountain. And my wife, Jenny, is like, um... I don't think that's a good idea. Like, Ella's like, unicorns, dad. I'm like, I know. We have to climb this. <laughs> and so Ella and I start stepping, and Jenny's like, it, remember, it just rained. The rocks are slippery. I'm like, girl, we got this. And Ella's, I'm like, I got her. I'm holding her hand. So I grab Ella's hand because I'm a good father, and we start walking up the slippery rocks. And all, all along, Jenny's like, I just don't think this is a good idea. And we take one step, and, and I'm like, oh, Ella, let's step here. And we take another step, and we get up probably around 10 feet into our journey. And, I, and, and so I'm like leading her, helping her get her footing and make sure she's good. And all of a sudden, I see another large rock that looks like a perfect stepping stone. And when I choose to step on that stone, my foot slips out from underneath it. Well, in my fear that I'm about to launch my daughter down the mini mountain, I let go of her hand, but in the violence of letting go of her hand, I lose all balance. And so not only does this foot go, this foot goes too. And so now I'm kind of slow motion falling down a mini mountain. Now, it's really the best visual I can give you is a slinky, because that's pretty much what describes the four feet that I continued to fall over a period of what felt like three minutes. Because every time I think I stopped because the jagged rock that was stabbing into one of my body parts, I would then fall over that jagged rock and land on the next jagged rock. And then I would fall over that one and land on the next one. And my wife is like, oh, you, oh, 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 you stopped Oh, Oh, no. And she eventually, she starts coming up the rocks because I'm slinking down the mini mountain where the unicorns live. Okay. So I finally stopped because it was a really sharp rock that just wedged me in, and I'm just laying there, and they're both looking at me like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not okay. And and so I kind of like slowly get myself out, and kind of we hobble on through the the hike, and I make it in. And for the most part, I mean, I've, I've like, somehow I cut my leg through pants, and I've got some nasty bruises, like all this side took the beating. And I thought I'd kind of was like, okay, that was a stupid moment, but we still eventually made it to the top because we ran around to the other side. And um, and so I get home and I'm sitting in the chair later that evening, and all of a sudden I can't move my, my foot. I can't walk. Because now I've sat down long enough that the pain is starting to fill up. So last night I am army crawling to the bathroom. Because I can't walk. I have a stool hidden around the side of this in case I collapse in the course of this because my left ankle is hurting. Now, fortunately, I took pain medicine before I came here today. Not that kind of pain medicine because this would have totally shifted this message, right? <laughs> Might have made it a little bit more entertaining, but not very useful or helpful. And so I totally was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through. So I have a stool hidden over there because my entire body hurts. And it hurts because I made a choice to listen to the wrong voice. I listened to a (laughs) five-year-old. I didn't listen to my wife, right, which should have been a clue as I started climbing up the mini mountain that I would slinky back down eventually. But I didn't. And the reality is is that this story, while on the surface, it's so distant and unrelatable because here's a guy who's a king getting ready to make a decision that impacts the entire nation, but reality is that we all have the same struggle of choosing to listen to the wrong voices that leads us to make poor choices, that we all have that similar struggle. And that the power and the force of us choosing which voice we're going to listen to impacts our life regularly. Some of us are in this room and you are living in the aftermath of a choice that the better voices in your life told you not to make. Don't date him or don't marry her. It's going to be bad and you're like, no, it's love. It'll fix all things. I'll change them, I won't be changed, it's going to work out, right? We all, we all make those kind of choices where we're not listening to the better voices and we end up in those places and some of us, our lives, decades or at least years of our lives have been robbed because of our choice of who to listen to. And I think it's worth hitting just pause before we continue and asking you this very direct question. What are the voices behind the choices in your life? What are the voices influencing you? Who are the voices influencing you? Because if you don't know the voices behind your choices, then you don't have an ability to change them or to compensate for them. And this is one of those moments As somebody tapped on his shoulders and simply said, hey, are you sure these are the right people to listen to? It might have changed the whole storyline of his life. And so part of us in leveraging this force comes out a couple different ways. One is that we have to become aware of the bad voices speaking into our choices. Like very candidly, don't take marriage dating relationships Relationships from people who've had three divorces. Don't take dating advice from someone who does not have a clue about dating. Don't take financial advice from someone who's in debt and has declared bankruptcy. Don't take parenting advice from someone who you know their kid is just an FBI wanted list waiting to happen. (laughs) Right? But we fall into this trap of not being aware of the voices and we just listen to them. And if you and I were become aware of which voices we're hearing, then we can stop we can start to minimize the ones. Like if you've got somebody at your work who has a horrible career path, they are the last person to seek out advice from. Right? He should have never asked those guys' advice about leading because they had never led before. His father's elders had. Which points us to the second part. It's not just about minimizing or ignoring the bad voices influencing our choices. It's also about intentionally reaching out to find better voices. Those better voices that can influence us to make better choices. That those people who who point us to to a better version of ourselves. I mean, when I ask you that question, who do you want to become? That question I ask myself, do you have someone in your life that is presently the future version that you want to be? Do you have someone in your life who has a marriage that you want to have in 10 years? Do you have someone in your life that is a mother or a professional that you want to be five to ten years from now? Do you have someone you can look up to today? Do you have that kind of person speaking with their voice into your life? Because better voices can lead to better choices. And most of us have made friends and have surrounded ourselves accidentally. It's not intentional, it was, it was accidental. It just happened to be they were geographically in the same place at the same time as you, or they happened to have some of the same affinities that you have or that your kids have. Well, my kids like playing soccer, and they, or my kids like doing this, and so they were there, and so we just kind of started talking. But if we're going to be people who leverage this force, then we can't let our friendships or those voices be accidental. We have to make sure it's intentional. Intentional. And so do you have voices in your life that are not accidental voices, but they're aspirational voices? They're who you want to be. They're the type of man that you want to become. They are the ones speaking into your life. They're the ones that you intentionally schedule to have coffee with once a month or once a quarter, right? Do you have those kind of voices in your life? Because better voices can lead to better choices. It's why as a church we structure with groups. We set up with groups because we realize that while this is good, what's even better is when people circle up together. And that if we could intentionally create environments where better voices are being spoken around a circle, then it would lead us to make better choices. It would influence us to have a better picture for our own lives. It's this powerful principle that we leveled and kind of intentionally placed inside our church structure. It's why that we have preschool and elementary, we have them as a separate group. It's because we recognize that first of all, them in this room with me, it's probably not a good idea. It's going to distract you because you're going to have to be like, listen to the bald man. See, he makes poor choices too. Don't be like him, right? I mean, it's, it's just not going to work. We wanted to create spaces where your preschooler and your elementary kid would love to be where they would get those regularly better voices in their lives that are shaping them to make better choices, reminding them of a better way of doing life. And this is why we were intentional about those spaces. And it's why we have, I think, some of the greatest people in America serving in those spaces. It's because some of us, maybe you've got better voices speaking in your life, but you need to be a better voice speaking into someone else's life. Maybe for some of you, you have the privilege of really wise upbringings and have really great life experiences and you have a passion for preschool or elementary. And I would just say maybe one of the things that you could do is once a month, your voice be a part of their life. Because we really believe that better voices lead to better choices. It's why after service today, I want to invite parents and middle schoolers and high schoolers to join me right down the lobby and the, the glass room right beside starting point in the lobby, because I want to tell you about what we're getting ready to roll out for your middle school and high school students. That we're going to be creating a space for them where they can have better voices speaking into their lives. And I want to tell you about the plan that we have to create a space for your middle school and high schooler that's just as dynamic and it's just as life-giving it's just as hopeful and helpful as what we've created for your preschooler and elementary And maybe for some of you, that that challenge to not just find better voice, but to become a better voice, maybe it's not here. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's with single mothers that you have a heart for, who've walked a journey that you've walked before, or maybe it's in your school system, or maybe it's in a boys' club or a girls' club, but there are people who can benefit from your better voice in their life because there's something powerful about us speaking with better voices it makes a difference. Just recently I came came across some research that was done in a, a local school um, in the New England area. And it was a research that was built around junior high students. And what they did is they asked junior high students to write essays. And the researchers um, graded their essays and divided them into two groups. One group, it was completely random. So one group gets a post-it note that simply says, um, you know. Uh, run-on sentences, just giving feedback for things that they needed to do differently in their essays. And then they were told at the bottom of the post-it note, um, by the way, you can can make changes to this essay and resubmit it for a grade, a regrade. So that was the first group. The second group with the post-it note gets the exact same feedback But underneath the feedback is the sentence, I'm giving you this feedback because I believe you're a good writer that has great potential. By the way, the final line, you can revise this essay and resubmit it for a regrade. 17 to 40%, depending on which subgroup it was, 17 to 40% of these students submitted for a regrade. Most of them chose not to. 80% of these did. Same feedback, but what was different was this voice in a post it note. Let the kids know, I believe in you. That simple sentence shaped an entire group of students and caused them to go back and rewrite an essay and submit it for a better grade. One sentence. It wasn't even a sincere sentence. It was researchers. But that voice had that kind of impact on the choices they made. And the reality is, we believe at the heart of the Christian faith is that better voice who speaks into our lives, who encourages us that there is a better version of us, that there is a deeper, fuller version of us, and that He in what He has done for us on the cross and the resurrection gives us an ability by faith to have that software update on this broken hardware. That His software in our lives can change how we live our lives. That He speaks a better voice into us. And over us. And calls us to be better husbands and mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and workers and friends. That he inspires us. And that's why I would encourage you as we wrap up. That maybe for some of you here's an experiment I want to give you. We talk about better voices leading to better choices. We are currently midway through October. And for some of you I want to encourage you to, to read the book of Mark. It takes five minutes. It's Matthew, Mark. It's the second um, letter in the New Testament. It's a biography about Jesus. And what I love is that you, if you're willing to do this, then what happens is if you give five minutes each day for the rest of October, you'll intentionally be setting aside time to spend time with a better voice into your life. And what I guarantee will happen, even if you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, is that that better voice will start to impact the choices you make. And your heart and your life will be stirred with a better version of who you could be. For some of you, maybe you've been coming to Encounter Church for a while, and you're not sure, but you want to learn more about Jesus. And I would say that this week, I'm kicking off a group that I want to encourage you to sign up for. It's non-threatening. It's just a safe place, space. We meet right here on Wednesday evenings. Um, And and it's a place where we're going to dialogue, and we're, we're going to press into questions about faith. And it'll be a safe place where for those who want to explore Christianity, who have questions about Christianity, um, can come. And you can sign up in the app that Jason referenced earlier, starting point. Um, You can sign up. Just give it a week or two. Try it out. Because we all need these better voices. And for those who are maybe Christians in this room and you recognize that you, you want to see your faith become more vibrant and more alive, I would encourage you that There's a group that I'm going to be kicking off in a couple weeks, and it's, it's about growing in your faith. And the idea is I want to teach you how I speak on Sunday mornings where a lot of you will come up afterwards and say, man, I, the Bible just made sense to me. It helped me. It made a difference in my life. I want to teach you how you can have that every single day of the week, not just one day a week. And, and if you're interested in that group, we don't have the time to find. We, we haven't publicized that yet. We just right now we're putting together an interest form I would encourage you to sign up for that. That could be a really great next step for some of you who want to take intentional steps to grow in your faith. But whatever that happens to be, here's my encouragement for you, that better voices lead to better choices. And that if you and I begin to answer the question who we want to become and have those type of people in our lives speaking those voices, then what we will find is 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, we will start to arrive at different places than we are now. That if you want to to get somewhere, if you want your life to look different than it currently is now, then you have to do something different than you're doing now. And today, let me encourage you to take the step to do something different, to end up somewhere different than where you are. Because what I know is true about all of us, if we keep doing the same thing, we will get the same results. In five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from now, we will be the same person we are with a little less hair or a little bit more years on our life, but on the inside, completely unchanged. And the beauty is, is that in the Christian faith, we believe every single day is a new day. Every single day is a new day to start over. And so I want to encourage you that. And then let me do a teaser, and then I'll pray, and our band's going to come up and close this out. But there's one voice I haven't talked about, and if you've been engaged with me, There's probably this one voice voice that you've maybe thought about. I haven't talked about the inner voice. And it's because I, I wanted to do justice to both. Voices do impact choices. And for some of us, the external voice is influencing and impacting the life we're living. But I recognize there's, for many of us, our struggle is not the external voice. It's the internal voice. And you and I, whether you've ever counted this, but there are strange people who have, we have 50,000 thoughts in the course of a day. And next week, I want to dig into the inner voice. And I want to talk about the inner voice and how you and I can start to overcome its negative pull in our lives. So if today you were like, ah, the external voices, I got that. I've got some good groups. It's the internal voice. Then I want you to know, hey, I'm looking out for you. Come back next week. And we'll deep dive into that one. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for uh, your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the the story and the impact it has. Thank you for the way that you offer to us a better voice. And even as we um, sit and reflect on some of the questions, I pray that you would help us to become aware of the voices beneath our choices. That you would inspire in us a fresh picture and vision of who we could become. And that in all things, that we would live a life that in the end is filled with better decisions and fewer regrets. And it's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.